Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast, it's everything for the adventurous independent traveler. Yes, mariachi music for <laughs> the sound of Mexico. Couldn't do it without that. The destination we're featuring in this episode of the World Nomads podcast, and it celebrates the launch of the World Nomads Mexico Guide. From uh, lounging or partying on its beautiful beaches to exploring ancient Mayan ruins, Mexico is definitely an alluring destination, and it is also hugely popular. Outside the Caribbean, it's the second most popular destination for Americans to visit. You know? Yep. Cool art, top-notch food, the music, sand, sun, sea... Mariachi bands? What's not to love? <laughs> we'll explore the Sea of Cortez in this episode known as the Aquarium of the World, the Cuisine and a Dose of Jungle Diarrhea, which is not a great segue <laughs> <laughs> for our first chat uh, with our boss about the guide. Yeah, indeed, Kim, our Mexico guide. And look, we've actually done a bit of a change in direction with these. We've got – this is our 22nd or 23rd travel guide that World Nomads is, has published. But we've taken a bit of a new direction because the uh, we're trying to do something a little bit different with World Nomads. I know we're – you know, people love what we do. We're trying to do it better. But I thought we'd find out about why we're trying to do all this and exactly what we're trying to do by speaking to our boss, General Manager Chris Noble. G'day. Hello, Phil. Hello, Kim. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. This is, uh, I was going to say, popping your cherry. This is your first time joining us. I know. I have complained for, for several months um, that my dulcet tones have yet to be recorded, so I'm I'm very glad that finally I get a chance to, uh, to chat to you guys. Mate, look, just talk to us, all right, because we've had a bit of a change in direction. So now we're all this new guide, and it looks fantastic, and it reads beautifully because – it's we've switched to like you know the first person we're talking you know we've got people who are good travel writers and they're they're explaining a destination through their own experiences but just tell me why we're doing that what's the philosophy behind that yeah look i think it's been one of those things over the years that um both as a traveler and i think that's the thing about world nomads that um you know we are we are world nomads and, and pretty much everything i think we've produced over the years has been done through the lens of, you know, does it help us? Does it support us individually as travellers as well? And I think for many years when you look at, and there's some fantastic travel writing out there and wonderful publications, um, and they give you fantastic tips and hints on where to go and what to see. And I think from my perspective, and I don't know, maybe it's just me getting getting older, but um, I, I generally get moved by understanding what a travel writer felt when they were in a place, um, what motivated them? What what were the experiences they had, and how did they reflect upon them? And it's always been that type of writing that that, that I've loved, and I know a lot of us in turn, uh, within the business have loved as well. So yes, you can get those great, um, you know, tips. This is where you need to go and what you need to do. And, and I think that, you know, there's certainly an element of that woven into it. But I was really keen. You know, and our team was very keen to understand well, what did that person feel at the time? Why was it such an amazing experience? What did they get from it? And um, what did it mean to them as an individual? Because I think as travellers, we all have completely different motivations when we um, make a decision to travel to a place. And it's not always just about being able to stand in front of something and pull a selfie and go, I was here. For a lot of us, I think it's very much, you know, we're seeking something. We're looking to understand a place and understand ourselves 
at the same time. So I thought this, and the team thought this would be a better opportunity to try and explore some of those those themes and see whether we could get under the skin of a place through that that individual, through that writer, and really understand what did they feel when they were going through it. And that's something that I can connect to, something that I'm I'm searching for. Picked a great destination to do it with, Mexico, where nomads go. Yeah, I think there's um, there's probably few countries in the world that that are possibly as misunderstood as, as Mexico is. Um, there's, you know, it's copped a lot of bad press over the years, but it really is an amazing place and it's an amazing destination. And I think one of the other things that's key to the approach that we're trying to take is, I know personally for me very much, um, the way in which the way that I travel now has changed um, in that I, I, I seek out those people on the ground. I seek out local people um, to really give me a better understanding and a better sense of what's going on and not just take that sort of, that third person view of a place that you sort of wander into and you get a perception. But really, I think we all, um, those fantastic trips, those trips that you have that you remember that you stick with you for years are generally around the experiences that you've shared. Now, now whether that's, you know, with someone or a friend or a loved one, but a lot of the time it's, it's when you share that experience with someone that actually lives on the ground um, and can really give you an insight into their culture and their way of life that you, you just can't get either through necessarily through a guidebook or, 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 you know, by by just sort of standing on the outside. And I think that's ultimately what, you know, this new approach um, tries to do is to, to you know, to get our writers connected to people on the ground and really start to give people a sort of an inside-out view of the destination. So all those preconceived views that you have and any of those stereotypes of, of a place sort of wash away when you really get to the, get to the heart of it and understand why it is that, um, that people, you know, are so so proud to live in Mexico and so proud of their culture and their history. Um, it just gives you that further desire to want to go and experience that. And, and that is, for me, that is the beauty of travel is getting on the ground and, and meeting people and really understanding the destination you're in. One last question, and it's a leading question. Everything that you've just said just Have there, I got a job for 2019? Yeah, can I keep my job? <laughs> it's the leading question. You, you'll know where I'm going. All those things that you've just described that you can do as a world nomad, that's not something that you can normally do with lots of other brands. You know, there are amazing brands that do amazing things in the world, but, you know, as I say to, to people within the team, you can't live and die an Apple, you can't live and die a Red Bull, but you can live and die a world nomad. That's cool to who we are. It's just part of our fabric. It's part of our DNA. And, and, and we love the fact that so many other people in the world sort of share that vision and purpose. So it's been a great ride and, and yeah, long mate, continue. Agree with that totally. Yeah, it's great. Another tattoo for you, Phil. <laughs> you can't die an apple, you can't die a red bull, but you can die a world nomad. It's awesome, Chris. Thank uh, you. Thank you, guys. All the best. Cheers, Chris. Well, let's kick off by addressing the elephant in the room, Phil. I know it's something you're really passionate about, yeah. safety in Mexico. You get quite frustrated when people say it's not safe. No. I, yes. I, yes. I do get very, very frustrated and it, it is generally a pretty safe destination. Well, we have all read about the gang and drug-related violence. In fact, when you tune into Netflix, all the shows or pretty much all the shows on Netflix are about that. Yeah, well, that narco series is a lot to blame for that sort of attitude that people have. Great TV, but, you know. Come to the defence of Mexico. Well, who better to give us an idea of just how safe Mexico is but a local? And you caught up with Ruben from Mundo Joven? Yep, Mundo Joven. At a conference in Scotland last year. I was raised and born in Mexico 33 years ago and I've been traveling around the world. I've been in this industry for 15 years. Yeah. 
And I've been always next to this story about and listening all the time when, when where are you from? Mexico. And immediately. It's dangerous. How do you survive? Like and I don't know, people immediately is like feeling that I'm landing in Damascus probably <laughs> every time that I get home. But it's not like that. Uh, of course there is a problem. Of course, will, I will be lying to you if I don't consider that we have, we have a, a problem. We have a big drug problem, probably since, I don't know, since ever, <laughs> since uh, and bigger and bigger and bigger in the last 20 years, or it was more obvious in the last 20 years. Yeah. And it's, it's really simple to understand. We, are, we have a big neighbor uh, with a big demand. Yep. And we are a big producer. So uh, in order to exist, any conflict has to, you need to have two parts. Yep. Otherwise, it couldn't be just one. I think uh, the uh, Mexico first big problem is we have a terrible PR, terrible PR condition yeah. in terms of the news. Uh, you can see the worst president ever history that we have is right now. Thank God is is gone this this administration. Considering so many facts, considering uh, corruption things that we've been involved. Um, terrible, but it's, terrible. But it's but it's it's pretty simple to say that there are. Lots of places which are fine, but there are some places which are not. Correct. So it's very localised in a way. So if I was to go to Mexico, how would I find out the information about where are, what are the safe places to go and the, and the not safe places to avoid? Border is always the hot spot, not in the right way. Yeah. I mean, uh, because the geographically position next to the US border is where probably you're going to get the biggest conflicts yep. uh, cause natural conditions of, of, of these people trying to get Ill, all this yep. stuff into, yep. the, into the country. And then about the cities or about the destinations, there, the, the most demand destination, which is Mexico City, Cancun, or all the other beach destinations, you're going to have this... How do I say? Um, possible problems. Yeah. <laughs> because all the interaction there is involved around. I mean, uh, there's always people looking for uh, this demand. And there's always people having this offer. So if you are involved or you are looking after this and you are looking after that kind of action, you will get into trouble. You will get into trouble. But that's something that is going to happen in Mexico or, or anywhere else. All right. Tell me about your favorite parts of Mexico. Where's, where's your, what, which part of your country do you love the most? I love my city. I love Mexico City. Then uh, my second favorite place of Mexico is, it is Chiapas, which, which is uh, in the south. Yes. Southeast Mexico. Um, they have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, landscape. It's 
green, a lot of community and local community people. Uh, and they have beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, green zones. And it's a mix between jungle and uh, a lot of art and a lot of uh, traditions. Uh, and all the zones around, for me, is one of the most beautiful parts of Mexico next to Yucatan, well, close to Yucatan. Yucatan, for, uh, as well, for me, is, is my, one of my favorite places. And is my grandma hometown, which obviously put it in the hot, in the hot part of the list. There, indeed. Well, look, Mexico City has changed a lot. Uh, over you know the medium term, it was once not a very nice place to go. So what changed there? How did it become such a great destination? How did it become a hot spot? It's been a lot of investment in the city in the last ten years, I will say. Uh, much more efficient communication and PR. Um, a lot of big brands, hotels, and big luxury brands uh, around the city, and developing uh, I mean you feel comfort when you're next to the city or walking around the city and there's so many things to do and so many things to to see around last last question I want you to tell me a secret spot in Mexico City if I was to visit there where would you send me that's not the usual my secret spot in Mexico San Angel For me, San Angel is, uh, is one of the most non-well and amazing neighborhoods uh, that perfectly shows you how, is, how used to be the real Mexico City. So get lost in San Angel, take a look about the houses, and, uh, and you're going to know exactly how it's How is Mexico and how is Mexico City? Uh, look, Mundo Joven is an educational travel agency aimed at all types of travellers, especially first-timers, uh, who are guided step-by-step step in their process to go abroad to study. All the links in the show notes. Yeah, plus our very own safety guide too for Mexico. We'll put that there as well. Yep. Now, Cassandra runs Escaping NY. It offers group tours. I really like this because when you hear the, the term group Good, tour... Yeah, I've turned off already. Yeah, it, no, don't, please, okay. because she does group tours for people who don't do group tours <laughs> and she helps solo travelers plan their own adventures and Cassandra has spent a lot of time in Mexico. So I started in Baja California and I did a whale watching road trip um, all along that peninsula uh, camping and stopping at different locations to see whales and I then completed my scuba diving certification in Baja California And then I went to Playa del Carmen about two years later and did my advanced scuba diving certification there. So what's scuba diving like in that area? Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'll say in, in Playa del Carmen, it's one of the best places in the world. You see turtles, you see um, large fish, you see algae, you see... Um, I saw a gigantic eel that apparently just lives in this shipwreck. And I was so surprised to find him and then was told after the dive that he's just always there every single day waiting for divers to come down and say hi. When you're in Baja, California, you then hitchhiked with a couch surfing friend. I did. <laughs> so I met her actually the previous year um, 
in Tijuana. She lives in Tijuana. And she wrote me and she said, I go to see the whales every winter. Would you like to go with me? And so I did. I flew back uh, to San Diego and then I crossed the border into Tijuana and we made a plan to go down the border. And we actually found another couch surfer to go with us. And he drove for the first couple of days which was really nice because when she went to pick up her tent, we realized that there were no poles in the tent. So we would have been into for a terrible surprise when we went to go set up the tent at night. And when he had to go back up to Tijuana, we hitchhiked. We hitchhiked the whole way down the peninsula uh, with a lot of Canadian retired couples who I would learn vacation in Baja California, Mexico every winter and there's like these massive RV camps and lots uh, all along the peninsula. So they would, um, they would drive us to wherever they were going. We would spend the night and then we would find someone to take us the next uh, stretch. So jumping in with mum and dad or grandma and grandpa seems a lot safer than what I was envisaging. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was very safe and we did have other offers and we just, we used our best judgment as two single women. Uh, there were offers from, we got an offer from a truck with three men in the front and we decided they might be very nice, but we didn't think that that was the best option for us. Uh, so we let that pass. And at one point we had a Mexican couple, a male and a female, uh, probably in their thirties that were driving on a, a short vacation they took. And so they gave us a ride to one of the cities as well. And we ended up staying at their hotel that night just because we got in too late to try to find any accommodations. We're going to chat about um, safety in Mexico later in the podcast, but generally, did you feel safe? I Yes, 100%. I've, I've been in Mexico at least a dozen times. I've traveled all over the country and I've always felt extremely, extremely safe there. I mean, there are areas I won't go to, like around the border, and there are pockets of violence, um, and that violence is real, but it's also, it's in very specific places for the most part. And so it can be avoided. Now you mentioned nasty surprises, <laughs> jungle diarrhea. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and that's it. Why I'm so interested in this is that Phil and I are pretty sure we're going to have to do an episode on, you know, pooping around the world because it, it's kind of one of those things that happens to everyone but no one talks about it. Oh, I talk about it. I, I send out um, a monthly adventure newsletter that ha it talks about my personal adventures and, you know, upcoming group trips that I lead and travel tips and everything. And one of them that I sent out was jungle diarrhea in Mexico and... <laughs> One of my uh, mentors was like, you can't use that as the title. I was like, oh, yes, I can. Like, people want to know. And if they don't, like, they shouldn't subscribe to my newsletter because, I'm, you know, <laughs> I, want, I want to keep it real and let them know, like, you know, what's going on. It's a part of travel. It's a part of travel. Like, unless you're just going to stay in your house for the rest of your life. You, I've gotten sick at restaurants in New York City and across, you know, the countries. So this particularly awful bout of the jungle diarrhea happened uh, when I was going on a road trip with a friend of mine. Pedro, who is a taxi driver in Mexico City, and we drive his taxi all over the country on road trips. And we were going through San Luis Potosí, and we stopped in a small town because we were tired, and we went to a little street fair, and the food was good, and Pedro had me sample his, his drink. Uh, it was a tamarind, a sweetened tamarind water. And I was like, man, this is good. I should get my own, and I did. I was like, man, this is really good. I should get another. And I had another. And the next morning, I woke up just sweating. 
And I'm like, isn't it hot in here? And he's like, no, it's not. <laughs> and I sat up and I was dizzy and it was, it was, it was really bad, but we had hiking to do that afternoon. So we went hiking and, <laughs> and we had hiking the next day through these, um, these ancient ruins in the middle of the jungle. And it was, I think it was in the eighties or the nineties that day. It felt to me, it felt like just boiling. <laughs> it felt like my blood was boiling, uh, hiking through these, these mountains, uh, no bathrooms in sight. At night we were camping and we found this really cool uh, campground with teepees. So, you know, we had this nice teepee, but then I had to like climb out of it and, you know, run to the bathroom, which seemed like it was, you know, a kilometer away. I was grateful for it. <laughs> <laughs> so any, any accidents or did you make it to the loo every, every time? I, I did make it every time. I, I'm surprised because the next campsite we went to, I had to cross a river. I had to like hop over rocks to get to the other side of the campsite to get to the bathroom. But I was so grateful that there were lights and there were there was toilet paper. And eventually, a couple days later, I was able to do this waterfall jumping tour in San Luis Potosi, Mexico with no accidents. Thank goodness. <laughs> That would have been interesting for some under underwater GoPro filming. <laughs> that would have been the, the video to go viral. I know like every travel blogger and every business person wants some viral video. Like that would be the viral video that I would be subjected to. <laughs> so tell us about this friend in Mexico that has a, that is a taxi driver and you drive the taxi around the country. I also met him on couch surfing. <laughs> I met him like 10 years ago and it's, I've been, I, I've been talking about couch surfing for years and I've gotten so many more questions recently about it. I recently hosted a guy from Iraq and I want to I do some more writing about that. But I met him uh, in Mexico City and he had responded to, there was a dancing group and like, I danced salsa. And so he wrote me in that group and said, hey, I can't host you at my house, but I'm a driver. If you need, I can pick you up from the airport and take you to wherever you're going to be staying. I said, oh, that works out great. And so we ended up hanging out and I went down there like two years later and we met up again and we decided to take a day trip to Puebla, which is like two hours from Mexico City. It was just going to be a quick day trip, go there, come back. And on the way, he says, hey, what do you think about spending the night in Puebla and then driving another six hours to Oaxaca in the morning? <laughs> I thought, that sounds like fun. <laughs> it also sounds like something we should have planned for before we left Mexico City because we don't have our clothing, our toothbrush, or anything. Uh, but it sounds like fun. <laughs> and when we got to Puebla, we went to the internet cafe and we posted on there and we actually found some hosts that were going to take a bus to Oaxaca the next day. And so they let us stay with them. They had a spare bedroom and we all drove in his taxi to Oaxaca, had a great time. And then we've had a bunch of adventures since then in his taxi. And now he's the taxi driver on my group tours to Mexico. <laughs> and he has a million stories to tell on his own. Now, Cassandra's laugh alone would be enough for me to join her <laughs> yeah. traveling. She's great fun. Links in show notes. And to avoid jungle diarrhea, she suggests making sure the water is filtered, which yes. makes sense, but it's not often hard. It's not often that easy. Easy to do in small towns. Yeah. No. So yeah. she carries a water bottle with a filter, and the brand that she recommends is is grey. Uh, what's travel news? Uh, okay. Well, it looks like one of Europe's longest running parties is about to come to an end. The city of Prague, where would you know? Beer is cheaper than water there, you know. I've been to Prague and I drank Slivovitz, not beer. Oh so. my God, how was the hangover? Mm. <laughs> oh, 
that stuff's rocket It's deadly, fuel. isn't it? It's, it's, it's shocking. deadly. But look, and drug possession is only a misdemeanour in Prague as well. So, you know, it makes it the ultimate party town. So, but locals have got sick of waking up with a hangover and having to clean up after the 20 million guests who come there every year. So after years of complaints about noise and disturbance, the residents of the old city are being heard at last. The, the city has appointed a night mayor to address their concerns. Paris has done it as well. New York's done it. Moving on, I think we've discussed the airfare hack known as hidden city tickets before. You book a flight to a less popular destination, which is therefore a cheaper ticket, but you get off on a stopover at the more popular destination. But the airlines are cracking down on this because they claim it deprives them of thousands of dollars. Lufthansa is the latest airline to take a stand and they're suing a passenger who booked a Seattle to Oslo flight but got off at the stopover in Frankfurt and then bought a separate airline ticket to his home in the city of Berlin. He saved a little over 2,000 euros by doing that. That's exactly how much Lufthansa are going to sue him for. <laughs> well, they, how could that be successful? Suing? Well, uh, that's on the whole point. On those grounds, I seriously. Know, uh, someone's well, just they, been a bit clever. Yeah, but now that, but there's a site that, that will find these tickets for you called Skip Lagged. And so they're going, now it's institutionalised. It used to be a few people knew about it and it was a small hole in a big bucket and they didn't worry about it. But now it's like, you know, a gaping hole in a damn wall. There's so many people taking advantage of it. Whether they are actually, I mean, they claim, well, they claim that you've actually broken the the conditions that you've agreed to on your ticket and you're also depriving another passenger of a seat because an empty seat goes on. Mm. Uh, okay, one last one. We've got time for one last one. Go for it. A company that helps European travellers access compensation for delayed flights is predicting 2019 will be a horror year, especially for UK travellers. AirHelp is predicting that infrastructure problems and Brexit could cause as many as a quarter of a million flight departure disruptions throughout 2019, mostly for the Brits. They're calling on airlines and airports to get it together on infrastructure and on you know the, what they're going to do about post Brexit and do more to protect passengers' rights. So stand by for a bit of disruption. If Brexit goes ahead. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> exactly. I do know that Claire Sturzica has a blog. Hey, thanks for the news. Pleasure. It's great. I'm here every week. <laughs> she has a blog, Tales of a Backpacker. She also has her very own backpacking guide to Mexico, which we will share in show notes. And she's a big fan of the place as a destination, having spent months there. Um, I I loved it. I loved it. I had I didn't really have much expectations of Mexico City to be honest, because you know I'd heard all the stories that it's big and it's dangerous, it's dirty and polluted. Um, but actually, that wasn't my experience at all. Um, I was in a really nice area of the city, a, a place called Roma, and you know the, it was like leafy avenues and there's loads of cool bars and restaurants. And I, I had a whale of a time. I really didn't want to leave, actually. Um, I had originally only planned to be there for like a month. And I just liked it so much, I decided to stay you know, as long as I could. So give me four reasons you decided to stay for four months. Um, the food. But Mexican food is ridiculously good. Um, the street food actually is amazing. You know, you can buy sort of three tacos for like a, a dollar um, and it's really, really good. The the people, I actually found the people really friendly. Um, 
kind and open. Um, again, sort of not really what I'd expected from Mexico, given all the stories I'd heard. Um, what else? The the culture. Um, I was actually really amazed by how many museums there are in Mexico City. Like apparently, there's only Paris that has more museums um, than Mexico City. So there's so much uh, to learn in Mexico. There's there's um, an anthropology museum that's absolutely incredible. It's huge and it has exhibition halls of every pre-Columbian civilization in, in Mexico. Um, and they have this, they call it the Aztec sunstone, this huge, massive stone that's it's about like three and a half meters across. And apparently it weighs over 20 tons and it's got amazing carvings on it. Um, and they, they don't really know what it was used for, but they think it might have been like a calendar or for astrological purposes. But I mean, that was just incredible for me to see that and, you know, considering how long it had been there for and that they'd actually designed this thing. You know, yeah, I was just blown away by it. Um, so hang on, that's three things. What else? Four things. Just, just being someone that was just, it was just fun. You know, there's, there's a, a square in, um, in Mexico City called Plaza Garibaldi and you can go there and there's mariachi bands playing everywhere. Um, they can serenade you. There's an area called Shoshi Milko, which is where you can go on a, a boat, like a really colourful boat around all these canals. And if you go on a weekend or on a holiday, it's just a massive party and all these boats are filled with people drinking all their beers and singing. There's those mariachi boats that come alongside and like serenade you and you can, there's little boats that come past that have, they're selling like tacos and the little corn on the cob and it, yeah, oh God, I, I just loved it. Everything about it really, I just really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, because my expectations were pretty much zero, it just totally blew me away. Perfect. But can you expand on what you do? Because it isn't just Mexico. Yeah, no, it's not just Mexico. Um, I decided, it was about three years ago now, I was working in, in Spain and I, was, I couldn't take an office job anymore. So I decided to quit my job and go traveling. And I went around South America um, for, it was about 10 months that I was backpacking around South America. And I, I loved it. And when I came back after that, you know, it was only supposed to be a sort of once in a lifetime trip. And when I came back, the thought of working in an office then was just awful. So yeah, I decided to work a lot harder on the, on the blog. So yeah, Tales of a Backpacker, it's um, solo female travel. You know, I travel all around by myself. Um, budget travel, but still spending money on unique experiences. Because I think if you're going to travel and there's something incredible that you can't do anywhere else in the world, you know, that's worth spending a little bit of money on if you can. And I just want to sort of inspire people to, to take the plunge and do it. You know, when I, when I quit my job, there's so many people that said to me, oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. And um, yeah, obviously, if you've got family and mortgage and stuff, it's a lot harder. But I think, you know, life is short. You know, you should just take the plunge and if you can, then just do it. Which is great. But the big question though, Claire, is you must have had some money in your pocket before you headed off. The, the first 
trip that I went on this like so this ten month adventure to South America, like I actually had some some inheritance from my grandparents when they passed away. And before I went, I was working two jobs, and so I was saving up everything I could for that. But then when I was out there, I was like so volunteering in hostels and stuff like that, and staying in yeah staying in hostels. Like it wasn't. I'm not spending very much money. And that is good to hear, considering Claire's mission, Phil, is to share with you the very best of a destination without breaking the bank. Good. Okay, Tim Neville is a travel writer, and we featured him in a previous podcast. He's a great bloke to have a chat to. He went kayaking in Baja's Loreto Bay. Jacques Cousteau called Mexico's Sea of Cortez the world's aquarium. Yeah, when I when I found out he said that, I thought, man, that is just absolutely perfect. Um, you know, it was my first trip to that part of Mexico, and I am just dying to go back. It's just, it, I, I just can't describe just how, what a wonderful feeling it was to go down there, especially when the weather up here in in uh, you know in Oregon where I live is is not so great to go down there and have just wonderful temperatures and so on now when we first arrived of course the weather wasn't so great but but it's mexico it's always going to be you know a little it's always going to be better than where you are and so uh at least generally speaking i would say um so to jump into a place with just crystal clear water just spectacular scenery it's very desert very arid um, you know, and then this cool, refreshing water, so the contrasts are just wonderful. And then you pack in all this wildlife, and you think, wow, there's no place else I'd rather be right now. Now, you saw a marlin. I can't imagine what that would be like to see a marlin swimming when you're not actually, you know, fishing for one, if that makes sense. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And that's the first one I had seen, you know, not mounted on a wall in a seafood restaurant so um yeah i couldn't believe it i i'm just paddling along and look down and it's kind of a disturbing feeling when you you know when you you can it's almost like your body can sense there's something there before you really realize something's there um and i just something just looked a little different uh down underneath the boat and all of a sudden i realized it was moving and then i realized oh my gosh this is a giant fish um, and then and I really couldn't tell what it was, even though it was, it was, you know, it was probably maybe four feet below me, something like that, until it turned. And when it turned, the sunlight hit its sides and then it just lit up like, like an alien spaceship or something, just, just blue electric light and then poof, it was gone. So, um, yeah, that was definitely a highlight for me. It's, it's funny. There's so many, uh, turtles and, and, uh, you know, birds and things like that, that, that you that you begin to get a little bit used to it, let's say. So to have something like a marlin go by, which was, was, you know, still the only one I've ever seen, uh, pretty special, something I won't forget, that's for sure. Does it live up to Jacques Cousteau's theory that it's the world's aquarium? Well, you know, I'm no marine biologist, but it's just the uh, average guy who likes to go down there and go kayaking. It it is certainly uh, one of the more spectacular places you can go. See tons and tons of wildlife. There's great places to go snorkeling. We we would stop off into these little coves. That's the fun thing, right, about kayaking is that you know not only do you get to sort of you know ride in your backpack, let's say, so you so you don't have to carry anything. You know, it's all you're you're it's all in your boat. But then you get to use it to go explore these fun little nooks and crannies that. Um, you know, are otherwise pretty difficult to get to. So we could pull into these little coves, you know, beach the kayaks and then swap out for snorkel gear and go play around with the fish for a little while. 
you described that it goes kind of from, you know, this arid desert feel into this beautiful crystal clear water. But you also, in the story that you wrote, talk about some, you know, charming little seaside towns. How, do, how does it all connect? Yeah, you know, so it's uh, it's definitely a mix of the two. And, um, you know, where you start off there, you, well, you, there's several places you can start, but there in Loretto, um, you know, it's just a wonderful little town. Just, just that whole portion of Mexico. I think, I think, uh, you know, Mexico's so, so big and diverse, but, but that particular area of Mexico, um, the Baja Peninsula, just has this unbelievably chill vibe to it. It's like, you know, we've got this great weather, we've got these great uh, beaches and all these animals and awesome food. It's like, why worry? So everybody is just, just seems naturally kind of happy and relaxed. And, and so you can go hang out in these, uh, you know, sidewalk cafes, sidewalk uh, restaurants and have fish tacos or, you know, margaritas, whatever it is you should, that you want. And just, just really, really shed some, some uh, of the daily, you know, stress, I guess, that you have in your name, in your normal life. Um, but at the same time, it's, it, it's, it's culturally, fascinating and, and uh, historically so rich you, you've got to remember that that uh, you know these areas have been settled long before uh, you know by Europeans obviously that's what I'm talking about you know before anything where I that where I live so you have these old uh, missions you know you have these I mean these towns are old you have just this cool just this very very colorful culture that just permeates everything so to have both this this wonderful um, you know let's call it urban uh, vibe, and then this wonderful natural vibe. You put those two together, and man, it's paradise. You know, it's just, it's right there on our doorstep. It's so wonderful, fascinating culturally. It's, um, you know, the food. It's just, you need no excuse to go. <laughs> you know, it's right there. So, yeah, I plan to spend a lot more time down there for sure. Well, Phil, it's not fair to say we've left the best until last, but we cannot have an episode on Mexico and not explore the food. Absolutely. I, and I think Mexican food sometimes has a bad reputation. I've heard it described as pre-masticated food, but I think that's a Western version, Western version, and I'm aware that there is an entire different Mexican cuisine. We're right? about to find that out. Who better to do that with than Kendall Hill? He's an Australian journalist. He specialises in travel food and people features, but he's also the author of best-selling recipe book, Coast, and he contributes to Gourmet, Pilgrim, Spain and Mexico volumes. So I'm guessing, Kendall, you know what you're talking about when it comes to Mexican cuisine. Kim, I wouldn't ever profess to be an expert in Mexican cuisine because you'd need a couple of lifetimes, I think, to get across um, everything that's involved there. But I've eaten quite a bit and travelled around quite a bit uh, for, the, for the Gourmet Pilgrim book, as you said. So um, I know something about it, yeah. Phil seemed to sum it up as pre-masticated well, food. Well, that's that sort of refried beans, Tex-Mex stuff that you get in you know cheap um, chain outlets, that sort of stuff I'm talking about is not proper Mexican food, is it? No, it's not. And talking from an Australian perspective, we don't get great Mexican food here. We think it's just a, a, a sort of a hot mess of beans and cheese. But in Mexico itself, you know, it's, it's so diverse. It's not, I mean, Mexican cuisine is actually a, an amalgam of all sorts of different influences, not least the Spanish, when, when, when they invaded, they brought they brought um, pork and, 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 you know, the, the sort of common meats that we're aware of that Mexico didn't have beforehand. And then you had, you've had waves of immigrants since then, including... Korean and Lebanese, and they all bring their own influences. But underpinning that is this sort of treasury of um, 
of ancestral customs that uh, inform the way the way Mexican cuisine is prepared and the way it's developed. But also, they have the most incredible ingredients in Mexico. Avocados come from there. Chocolate comes from there. Chilies, beans, tomatoes, pumpkin, all these incredible ingredients that we, we couldn't imagine living without tomatoes, for example, but, but these are all Mexican. So to dismiss it as, for anyone to dismiss Mexican cuisine, is, is, shows an, a, a sort of a, a lack of understanding of how much that, that those United States of Mexico have brought to the world, you know, in terms of, in terms of our food, uh, our food treasury. I think you just named all of my favourite foods then. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yum. Well, you know, any country that gives you chocolate. Yeah. It's got to be. Oh, there's, there's some debate now. It might have come from sort of further south in Latin America, but certainly the the, um, the Mayans were uh, one of the first ones to sort of be able to turn those beans into something delicious to drink. Okay, I'm going to impress you here, both of you, probably more so. Kendall, when I cook a chili con carne, <laughs> I yes. I put chocolate in it. Ah, interesting. That's um, you know, mole, which is the sort of the staple sort of source of, um, of high Mexican cuisine, I'd say, because it takes a long time to prepare, 24 hours or more, and often has more than 30 ingredients, but that often has chocolate in. So you're on the right track, Kim. I think Thank if you're you. putting a bit of chocolate in, a bit of, um, you'd want the sun-dried chilies as well and that not fresh, I think, to give it sort of a more smoky flavour too. Okay. Now, I do use the fresh, so I'll take on board that advice. And do you spend... 24 hours preparing it, Kim? It's 12 hours slow cooked. 12 cooks. hours, okay. It's 12 right. hours slow cook. I put the time in. I would. Speaking of avocados, I can't imagine what a guacamole dip in Mexico would taste like compared to what we whip up ourselves in our kitchen based on the recipes that we're given or even in some of the restaurants. Is there a difference? Yeah. Look, I think there is in the same way that there's a difference in, in, in a lot of countries with their native cuisines when you go there and eat them. It's got a lot to do with the freshness. And, you know, guacamole is never pre-prepared in Mexico. It's always made fresh. So it's, it's the zinginess of the, the sort of onion and tomato and the lime juice and the, and the avocado all together. Um, and they do. I mean, avocados come from there, but in Michoacan, and one of the states in Mexico, they say they're the best avocados in the world. So it's, it's that quality of ingredients that all hails from this place. So I think that does make a difference to freshness, but also the fact that these ingredients are endemic to the place. So they probably turn out better there than they do anywhere else. Yeah, and, and that you'll see across all sorts of dishes in Mexico. It, it may seem very simple. Still, you mentioned earlier about beans and cheese and what have you, but there are myriad different ways of preparing beans um, and so many, so many different types of cheese that they... Um, they make in Mexico, that, and they're just two of the, of the many ingredients they have. So you can, you can travel around Mexico and you could have similar dish in each place, but it will never taste the same. And you'll be, you know, it, it's just a series for me when, I was, when, I, when I've been there, it's just been a series of revelations that you can have beans every day. And uh, and not get not get bored of them and still you know be surprised and delighted by some of the ways they're presented. I mean beans for Mexicans are rice. They it's, it's, it's the equivalent of rice in some Asian in Asian cultures because it's their staple uh, starch. I guess yeah. Well, your article covers all bases that you've written um, for us. We'll share that in show notes. But Kendall, is it all washed down with a 
little shot of tequila? If that was your thing, yes. I, when when I was in um, when I was in Jalisco State, I, looking at um, tequila production, it was early morning, and you know I had to sit, I had to stand there and, and do not shots of tequila, but taste it and stuff. It's not really my thing. I think I'd probably go for a beer and probably a michelada, which is um, beer with uh, sort of served tequila style with salt around the rim, a bit of lime juice, but they put some Worcestershire and uh, Chili? Tabasco. Yeah, there's a bit of Tabasco. So, so it's a mix of Worcestershire, Tabasco, and something they call magic sauce, which is kind of close to soy. And then you put the beer on top of that, often with some ice, especially if it's a hot summer's day, and it's so refreshing. It's um, kind of sort of a little bit Bloody Mary's, but not quite because it's, you know, filled with beer, but it's really great. I'll go that and I'll have uh, two tequila shots and a margarita, <laughs> thanks, and all the food you can fit on the table. Kendall, thanks so much for chatting. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sticking with the Mexico theme, you may like to listen to our Amazing Nomads episode with Claire and Tenny, who hiked the length of the US-Mexico border, taking six months to walk 2,000 miles. We were really nervous. We had heard a lot, uh, mostly from people who hadn't been there themselves. So there's a lot of sort of myths about what's down there, and we had a lot of fear going in, but we kind of we had this trust that people are kind of the same no matter where they are and that it maybe wasn't as bad as people made it out to be, and uh, that's overwhelmingly what we found. We really had no incidents that were even uh, remotely dangerous or scary or anything like that. That was a bumper episode celebrating our Mexico travel guide and we'll share a link in show notes so you can download it. Next week, we're going rogue with a special episode on urban exploration. Mm, Urbex. Until then, you can get the World Nomads podcast on iTunes or download the Google Podcast app. Make sure you subscribe. And if you have any feedback, it's always welcome. Or suggestions for guests, get in touch with us at podcast at worldnomads.com. See ya. Bye. The World Nomads podcast. Explore your boundaries.